Hey guys, welcome to Radical Rocks. I'm your host Shane and today we've got a super exciting episode. We're going to talk about recovering fine gold. We're going to talk about the crown jewels, diamonds, neftonite, and so much more. First thing I found was a geocrystal, quartz with no clouds. Agate was hot and the ground was hard, but the gems were there to be found. See, I've been through the desert, found a rock with no name, felt good to have in my hand. In the desert, you can find lots of rocks, cause radical rocks are everywhere. That's right. Radical rocks are everywhere, and today we're going to talk about a whole grip of different rocks. I want to thank you guys for liking, subscribing, and sharing the uh, podcast and the videos on YouTube and joining our social media on MeWe and what have you. Just look up Radical Rocks. You'll find us. So a lot going on um, in England, the crown jewels, a lot of articles um, bombing on uh, bombing um, the internet, you know, all the news sources that I look for and look up and keep connected with. So we'll definitely talk about that and a lot of really other interesting rocks, minerals, and some fossils as well. So I got started today on the Google uh, app and it just was dragging so slow. So hopefully that will work. Um, One thing that I always ponder is how many types of gemstones are there? And at signalscv.com, that's exactly what they're talking about, is how many types of gemstones are there? And they say that the estimates are between 100 and 200 recognized types of gemstones in the world. Of course, There's some that always come to mind. We do talk about this from time to time. Um, The article is pretty much um, stating the basic precious gemstones, diamonds, rubies, um, and such. Yeah, this it's really clunky. This website, so I don't know, or this uh, browser, the Google browser. I don't know why it's running like such a piece of garbage. But anyway. The typical ones, of course, are there. I I don't think I'm going to waste any more time with this article because it just, it's dying. But again, the main ones are diamond, sapphire, emerald, and ruby. And then the semi-precious, I mean, they can include rare, real rare things like alexandrite or rare green uh, emerald or uh, garnets and things of this sort. So, quite an array to look through. This is primarily talking about the crystal type gemstones. I know blue parabola tourmaline has been cited by many to be a precious gemstone. I don't know. I I didn't look up any information on that, but I remember hearing that quite some time ago. So I've also got a couple articles on the crown jewels here, but man, it's just so clunky. I'm going to get rid of that. And we're going to go to the Firefox website and look at what they have, or browser, because it seems to work a lot better. All right, now at Diamonds of the Crater, 
where you can go dig for diamonds in the United States at coemnewsnow.com. That's K-O-A-M newsnow.com. It says, uh, Arkansas Rockhound discovers 50, his 50th diamond of the year. Now, Andre Lequie tells us that there's some 35,000 diamonds have been found there at this at this uh, park where you can pay to mine. You sift through the gravels. They usually about one to two people, or one to two diamonds are found a day. This particular guy here, Scott um, of, of Dirks, he is a visitor, comes there quite often, and uh, he has found a pretty good one. He's got a picture of it there. It looks huge, but he's not saying how big it is, so maybe we'll find out what it is. Um, as a finder of this significant milestones, he received a free two-night stay at the Arkansas State Park, recognition from Murfreesboro officials, I guess that's the county it's in, and a special display for his diamond and resignation, uh, registration card um, donated by Sam Johnson and the Cadedo Trading Company. So pretty cool. You can name your gemstones. He named his Leo after his grandson. So maybe we'll be hearing more about that as he finds out uh, how spectacular it is. You can go to the park website. You go to ArkansasStateParks.com and um, just look up um, Crater of Diamonds. And all kinds of good stuff will pop up about these diamonds. They have found... They have registered 510 diamonds registered at the Crater of Diamond State Park in 2022. An average of one to two diamonds are found in the park each day, it says here. And um, diamonds can come in all colors of the rainbow, but most of the diamonds found here are white, brown, yellow, and in that kind of uh, range of colors. In fact, one year someone found, I think it was this last year, somebody found a really beautiful yellow one. It was really pretty, pretty cool. All right, now uh, the desert, the high desert, there's all kinds of rocks found. I should have said something about this this, uh, mineral, I guess it is. It's called kernite. Kernite is a really interesting uh, mineral that is found in the high desert. It was only discovered in the borax mine area in Boron, uh, California, about 1926, and that was the only place that it was found, but years later they did find it some other areas. It is a large crystal, one of the largest crystals, and this area of Kern County is a great area to go ghost, to go to ghost towns. Um, there's a lot of mines there, be careful, a lot of beautiful rock formations you will see in Kern County. But in this high desert area is kernite. And according to Wikipedia, um, that's what it's called. And kernite is uh, listed in the Manual of Mineralogy. Mineralogy. Ugh, I got marbles in my mouth. Kernite Web Mineral, the Handbook of Minerals and the Largest Crystals. Kernite is actually a uh, hydrated sodium borite hydroxide mineral. It's colorless to white, crystallizes in a monoclinic uh, crystal system typically occurring 
as prismatic or uh, granular masses, but uh, it has perfect cleavage and a brittle fracture. So you got to be careful. Um, this is in the western part of the Mojave Desert. It's been this uh, stored at the Harvard University in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and the National Museum of National History in Washington, D.C. Uh, until the largest single crystal of kernite measured, believe it or not, 2.44 by 0.9 by 0.9 millimeters and weighed approximately 3.8 tons. Kernite is used to produce borax, which can be used in a variety of soaps, including laundry, dish, and hand soap. But that's one huge crystal. I mean, what a monster. So they have one of these stored uh, in, in the museum there as the largest crystal. Very unusual, very bizarre. All right, birthstone chart. You can check that out if you want at yahoo.com. Birthstone chart, the modern gemstone associated with each birthday month. Barry Werner here gives us a list of all these gemstones um, from... January, uh, garnet, which would be probably red, uh, amethyst for February, and then aquamarine for March, real beautiful blue, and then April's going to be diamond, so it's pretty expensive if you live in April, and May is emeralds, I love emeralds, June is going to be pearl or alexandrite, of course I love alexandrite, but pink pearls would be cool if if, uh, if you're a lady or if you just love pink, I guess. Uh, and then July would be ruby, August is peridot, they've got a pretty orangish or yellowish uh, crystal here that's kind of unusual. And then September is sapphire, October is going to be opal and tourmaline, and usually the more grayish colors apparently it looks like but the opal is a fire opal and the tourmaline is kind of almost uh, purple hmm. and then november is going to be citrine or golden topaz very pretty yellow if you like yellow and december is going to be blue topaz blue zircon or tanzanite <coughs> so these are some of the more um pricier birthstone gemstones that you could find but uh, they sure are pretty and worth the look my cat is trying to knock over my whole book here i hope i have not lost anything here because it is really looking my computer is looking like it has lost a ton of stuff so i may be in a real lurch here that is a bummer let's see if we can find something else here wow i had all kinds of stuff open for you guys i may have to go back and look man i was not prepared for this kind of a disaster man i apologize let's see here hmm i have not had it go this bad before this this is the worst today we are also going to talk about recovering fine gold um, we will talk about um, mercury at some level. We will talk about uh, nitric acid. We will talk about other things. So 
When I tell you about these things, you'll want to be very careful because they can be extremely dangerous. I had some great stuff out for you guys. Man, I can't even believe it. It's just all disappeared. And I do this first time, first take has been the way we have done it for years. Years. Okay, let's see. There's the Golden Turkey. That was not a very good article. Um, Castle Park Mine. That was not very good. Man, my cat is walking right in front of me. I am sorry, ladies and gentlemen. This is not going very good. Let's go check out Rock and Jim. Okay, we got something here. Um, Rock and Jim, I wanted to tell you about the Queen's Gems and Minerals. That was a good topic. All right. Queen Elizabeth, may she rest in peace. Rock and Jim, they're credited with this. They send me emails. I've told you about that many times. She has her most seven most memorable gemstones over seven decades of as being the monarch over the British Empire. The largest gemstone is the Sovereign Scepter with a Cross according to this article, was discovered in South Africa in 1905 at the number two mine, and it was 3,106.75 carats, gem quality, rough diamond. It was the biggest ever found. And April, it was put to sell in that April of that year of 1905, and it was finally bought in 1907. And then it was a gift. It became a gift between England and South Africa after the Boer War. That gift became the Cullinan Diamond, yielding a plethora of cuts and sizes. Two diamonds became the 158-carat Granny's chips among the world's largest valuable and recognizable brooches and bequeathed by Queen Mary and her granddaughter Elizabeth upon her coronation. Then the Cullinan II at 317.4 carats is mounted in the Imperial State Crown, part of the official crown jewels. So that was a monster. The Star of Africa uh, was beautiful quality, and uh, it was 530.4 carats, clear-cut diamond, beautiful, one of the clearest-cut diamonds in the world. This uh, was on the Sovereign Scepter with Cross, originally made in 1661 for Charles II. It is a three-foot-tall scepter, symbolizing the Sovereign's temporal power, it has 333 table and rose-cut diamonds, 31 rubies. So it has 331 table-cut and rose-cut diamonds in total for both of those. 31 rubies, 15 step-cut emeralds, 7 sapphires, 6 spindles, and 1 faceted amethyst. In 1910 saw the most major alternation when the scepter was reinforced and a hinge added to the structure which holds a stone so that it may be removed and displayed separately. Wow, it is heavy. Um, King Henry IV's 14th century reign 
Um, he wore that, and by the 20th and 21st century, heavier still, the scepter was created for King Charles II, and will introduce King Charles III. The most colorful gemstones is the Wilson Pink Diamond. Um, when they have a picture here of Barack with uh, with Michelle Obama meeting uh, Barack Obama, who was president back in 1909, with First Lady Michelle Obama, there meeting Queen Elizabeth while she had this beautiful Wimson pink diamond on her. Pretty cool. Um, it was created in 1947 as a piece of jewelry, a 54.5 carat rough cut pink diamond. And then it was apparently cut down and completed in 1953. And it became 170 small brilliants, 12 baguettes, and 21 marquees. Then the Cambridge Emeralds. The Cambridge Emeralds are, are cloaked with scandals, a lot of colorful history with the Cambridge Emeralds. In 1818, a homesick Duchess of Cambridge, knee Princess Augusta of Hesse-Cassely, bought a raffle ticket while visiting her, uh, her home country of Germany and won a small box filled with a dozen Cabajon emeralds. When, she, when her niece, Victoria, rose to the throne in 1837, the Cambridges moved to the Kensington Palace where the Duchess had an English jeweler craft the Cambridge emeralds into drop earrings and a necklace displaying five pennants. Their daughter, Princess Mary, Adelia, Duchess of Teck, inherited the set and loose stones, but while Mary's own daughter, Princess May, would go on to marry King George V and produce six children, including Elizabeth's father, George. She did not inherit the emeralds. They went to her brother, Prince Franz, an unwed bachelor who died suddenly, equally unexpected. He gave the emeralds to his mistress, Nellie, a few weeks after Frank's death, Princess Mary gained considerable leverage in her efforts to reclaim the emeralds by becoming queen consort and then uh, sick some lawyers on her <laughs> and managed to get them back. A lot of history here. Um, then there is a Perut set, which includes a tiara with 10 pear-shaped stones, emeralds, and uh, nine emerald necklace, seven emerald stomacher, and a pair of earrings, and two with two emeralds apiece. So wow, lots of emeralds there. Um, this ended up being wore the necklace by Princess Diane, which uh, was quite beautiful and uh, a famous display. Then the Brasilia Aquamarines came out about 1953. They were presented to Elizabeth II in a necklace, beautiful set with diamonds, platinum. They had a matching set of earrings. They were oblong, um, beautiful, beautiful aquamarines. Doesn't really say how big they are here. Unexpected gemstone was the Kent amethyst. Amethyst, not really rare, but this Enormous hexagonal stone of deep royal purple 
was part of the collection dating to the 19th century and um, was pinned to Duchess of Kent in 1830. Then in 1861, the set went to Queen Victoria, who used the amethyst for official heirlooms of the crown, of the crown, because that is, you know, that's very royal color. So then Queen Elizabeth II wore it because her horse uh, won the royal racing uh, contest at Ladies' Day Royal Ascot in 2013, and the colors of that horse were red and purple. So she wore that. There's a granny tiara that uh, came about about 1893. Um, sounds like it was a battle that went on for this uh, stone. And then the Queen Mary in 1893, there was a wedding there. And um, yes, it collided. Let's see. Maritime Destructor... Uh, Another ship collided with another ship off the tip of Tripoli. 350 people died. Hmm. In 1914, the pearls were replaced with 13 diamonds. And Queen Elizabeth II married Prince Philip in 1947. And this became a wedding gift. And nearly all the jewels in the collection, including amethysts, aquamarines, and emeralds, were hers in 1960. The Richmond brooch was another uh, beautiful brooch with a lot of history that ended up in the collection. And we'll just go over a little bit of the collection here. Wow. The crown, the Imperial State Crown of the United Kingdom was made in 1919, uh, the last time it was uh, fixed up, I guess. And it has a picture of it here if you want to go check that out. Queen Elizabeth II owned a historic collection of jewels, both as a monarch and an individual. Her private collection of 300 items included 98 brooches, 46 necklaces, 36 bracelets, 34 pairs of earrings, 15 rings, 14 watches, and 5 pennants. Uh, the crown jewels of the United Kingdom in the Tower of London are a collection of royal ceremonial objects and regalia dating back 350 years to Charles II and contains 23,578 stones, including the Cullinan I and the Cullinan II, the Stuart Sapphire, St. Edward's Sapphire, the Black Princess Ruby, which is actually red spindle, 105 carat Kosh One Nur diamond acquired by Queen Victoria and featured on three consort crowns. So these jewels get moved around a lot. And uh, that's the story on that. Now, I'd like to tell you about another gemstone that's uh, pretty interesting. Neptunite. Neptunite is an actual stone that was discovered by gold prospectors back in California. And our friends at Rock and Gem tell us all about it, if it will pop up. It's named for the Roman Sea of Gold, Neptunus, Nep, uh, Neptunus. Neptunite is often found with California's state official mineral, uh, bentonite, uh, bright dark blue-green or blue gem, and it can be found with it. It uh, typically crystals measure about two inches. 
their perfectly terminated prismatic faces in nice size display specimens. It's found in the San Benito Mountains and in a snowy white uh, matrix. The specimens are attractive and well worth collecting because these luxurious dark black crystals contrast nicely with blue bentonite and the white uh, natrolite matrix. It is Neptunite is chemically composed of sodium, potassium, lithium, iron, manganese, and titanium silica, and also found elsewhere as a high manganese neptunite is so-called magna neptunite. When it forms with mag- manganese substitutes for the some of the iron atoms in its neptunite's chemistry. So this is a pegmatite type of deposit, and uh, this is totally different than any others. It is a um, very complex uh, hydrothermic uh, replacement deposit that is found in schist and serpentine and uh, typical of the rock types in San Benito. And it is a range where this deposit is found that's mostly metamorphic type rocks, which can contain crystallite, which is a form of asbestos, and uh, other things. So you got to be careful if you're up there. There are some areas that you might be able to collect according to this. The deposit's usually called the Dallas Gym Mine, subject to health controls now. Used to be a place where rockhounds could go dig. Um, heavy equipment was suddenly subject to serious controls. No more heavy equipment's allowed. No blasting, no gym mining is really restricted to hand tools. Deposit today is still claimed and some collecting is possible. There's a fee to dig outside of Colings, C-O-A-L-I-N-G-S, Colings, California, where you can search through material from the mine. Again, this was Gold Rush area about 100 years ago. Um, Prospectors were looking for gold, and they were looking the rivers, they were looking for nuggets. And one um, prospector was actually looking for mercury because mercury was used to encapsulate gold fine gold from the river and from deposits and things like that to form what is called amalgam. Amalgam is gold that is coated with mercury. It just sticks to it. Um, So he did not uh, find that. He found this deposit and uh, his name was James Couch. He was from Kalinga, California and he did not find the mercury but he did notice that white area on the side of the mountain. He went to check it out and that's where he made the discovery. There is no, uh, there is other areas for neptunite. Um, in, it's a deposit in West Greenland. Crystals from here are sharp, up to an inch long, and um, quite beautiful. Um, Mount Saint Hilaire, Canada, also has a nepteline deposit of sorts. Now, there's another mineral that is found here. It's less known. It's joaquinite, J-O-A-Q-U-I-N-I-T-E. It is embedded in the white mineral. It is tiny, nearly uh, jimmy, little mono, uh, clickle, little little tiny crystals, very complex. And it's comprised of sodium, barium, iron, titanium, silicon, oxygen, 
fluorine hydrozite. And they are seldom no more than two or three millimeters apart. You will seldom see this because it is not firmly attached to any matrix. So this would be rare if you find this one. I think there's another one that they found. Um, if you want to, a see, do, 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 they talk about identifying it. Color inclusions. Um, the natural color of bentonite has been studied in a result of what's called change transfer, the action of electrons where light energy enters a crystal. Titanium or oxygen electrons get excited with light energy. The electrons transfer back and forth between titanium and oxygen with electrons continually absorbing some of the light waves from the red end of the color spectrum. The complementary color of red, which is blue, becomes a dominant color and is visible. So there you go. There's a... There's a technical way of saying they're blue, darn it. Many bentonite crystals have a gray-white zoning. That is where the uh, fibers of the host rock get included into bentonite and develop. And um, there you go. So sometimes it has kind of a grayish color. All right. Now I want to tell you about recovering gold, fine gold. So let's suppose you've discovered a pretty good thing. You found some running water, you found a little color, and you're panning it out, you're sluicing it, but the gold is so fine, it looks like flour, right? How are you gonna separate that from that black sand? If you sit there with your tweezers, it's gonna take you a million years to do it, right? So do you just toss it back in the stream and try for bigger stuff? Well, no, you can try what the old timers used to do, and it's called amalgamation. With mercury, amalgamation takes place with the gold by mixing the liquid metal in one of the oldest methods, recovering the precious metal that is known to man. Mercury, in its liquid state, which at room temperatures is a liquid, um, will stick to gold and you will have a bigger, heavier bead that you could pan out the sand and the gravel and keep the fine gold behind. So there are some issues with amalgamation. Um, it, will, it will get the small flakes and the dust. It can pick up some iron and sulfites. That can make amalgamation a little bit difficult. So clean the gold out before the process begins and if you can, but you know, the old timers just put it all up and down on their mercury, on their, on their long boxes. So if you can clean the gold, that's great. Um, get rid of the impurities. As much as 30% can be lost during amalgamation, it says, if it's not clean. So sometimes gold has uh, things that are on it. So what, how do you clean it? Simple way is with nitric acid, um, but the cleaning must be done in a plastic gold pan or other container because nitric acid will eat up your skin, um, your eyes, and uh, metal. <laughs> so you need to be very careful with this. You'll want to have some serious gloves and glasses, be outside where it's ventilated, um, 
and uh, you can use nitric acid. It says in the Treasure Hunter's Digest of 1970-something uh, by Jack Lewis, it says that um, the mix for nitric acid would be to put a small amount until a boiling action is evident. Um, you could also see fumes coming off. So you want to be careful. Do not inhale those fumes. You can die. And if you have mercury on the gold and you're putting nitric acid on it, it will, it will liquefy the mercury. It will, it'll eat the mercury off more or less. But uh, you can get it back, actually. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. So, mercury is extremely dangerous. Um, it says 30 parts, one part acid to 30 parts water, but if you want to avoid what could be a dangerous and serious event, add the acid into the water rather than the other way around. So, yeah, you don't add water into acid. It could just explode in your face. You add the acid to the water. Remember that. That is extremely important. Um, you don't want it blowing up in your face. And, and that's what it will do. It can boil over or even just spray right in your face. Once a proper measurement has been attained, swirl the mixed liquids around the pan, making certain that all the concentrates are covered. The solution can be washed away, allowing a stream of water to flow through the pan. Um, you would want to do this outside. You wouldn't want to run this stuff down your drain. Um, we'll see how far the article goes. I will give some other tips that I'm aware of as well. So this is how to clean the gold. This would get pine sap, oil, um, things like that off the gold. Is this 30 to 1 mix here. But sometimes you find gold that already has mercury on it. And that's why I'm giving you this warning. Very little mercury is used now that you're ready. The gold is clean and you're ready to amalgam. I never use nitric acid on mine. Um, I just um, kind of would, if I had a really highly concentrated black sand, I would just kind of grind it with like a mortar and pistol. And if you don't know what that is, that's like the little bowl with the little grinding um, piece you hold in your hand and you mash it down but it's made out of usually iron or, or steel, okay? Pharmacies use um, sometimes other materials, but for mining, it's always steel. So here you are, you've cleaned your gold, maybe you've ran a little Dawn dishwashing detergent. Be careful you don't float out the fine gold. It can stick to bubbles and float right out. I wouldn't use enough to put soap on it if you're gonna do that. Like I said, I never cleaned it. I just, I washed it and rinsed it and rubbed it around and that's how I did it. So you're ready to put the mercury in. Only a few drops is all you need because most likely you're not going to have a ton of gold in there. You're just going to have, you know, a fraction, right? Um, a penny weight of gold is a 20th of an ounce, okay? Pretty good amount of gold, right? About $100 worth of gold. Um but it's not really a lot. I mean, you're probably not even going to have that much unless you really hit a fabulous area. And you only need a few drops of mercury. Put it in there. Put the water in there. 
shake it around, agitate it. Um, some people even roll it around like in a tumbler. You roll it around in a tumbler with a little bit of mercury in it. Just make sure that it's sealed good. You can do that as long as there's no metal inside that. Uh, so you want the mercury to be worked through the sand, gets to the bottom, it gets all over the gold, and then you'll see a globule. If it looks more spongy and kind of weird looking, then it has adhered to some gold. You will see it. The residue is the sand and the gravel. You want to pan that out, wash it away. You might want to save it and recheck it later. I always saved my black sand when I had an area, and I would go over, go through it again and again, and I would always find a little gold in it. Was it's amazing how you just can't get every bit out of it, no matter how hard you try. So the ball of mercury, there it is. Now, how do you get the mercury off the gold? Um, you get the get everything out of the pan, but the mercury, and you want. To rinse it completely. Now, if you have a piece of cami, um, it would be. It used we used to wash our cars with it. Kind of looks like um, they call it chamois. Actually, chamois. We used to wash our cars with that. It kind of feels like a leather. You can use a buckskin or a really really tightly woven canvas, but um, you want something that is going to let the mercury through, but keep keep the uh, the gold behind so once you do that uh, you get that cami wet uh, you want one that's thin not super thick you get that wet and you you can kind of twist it in a ball and squeeze it through the pores between the hide or if you do decide to use a cloth you can squeeze it through the woven threads and the gold will remain and the mercury will squeeze out um, the gold will be impregnated with mercury, and you can do different things to get the mercury off. You can burn it with fire. You can heat it, uh, roast it, and, but those fumes are deadly. They will kill you. They will give you brain damage. So that is something you need to be very, very careful. Um, you can do that. You can also use the nitric acid. To dissolve the mercury it will leave the gold behind it will make the gold um, turn kind of a brown color and discolor it which is kind of a pain there used to be a method called the baked potato method this is the way the old-timers did it I would not recommend it um, because some animals probably gonna get a hold of that potato and eat that mercury so I think it's a really bad idea but what they would do is is get get a potato and cut a hole in it and then cook it and the mercury absorbs you know vaporizes and absorbs into the potato and the gold is left behind so i don't think that's a good idea i would not do that um, you just cut a cavity in there put it put a little hole in there put the two holes back together um, put it together with some wire some foil so it doesn't you know burn or, or anything and then put it in the fire within an hour and depending on the size of the potato and all that the mercury is vaporized into the potato and the cooked potato um, can be uh, mashed up and the 
Mercury panned out as one would be the gold. The, the remains of the potato are washed away while the recondensed mercury remains in the bottom of the pan. So that's cool. Uh, don't try to cook the potato too rapidly. It could explode. That would be bad. Um, don't eat the potato because you're going to die. And then um, there's also other ways of getting it out. There's a retort. The retort uses uh, heat and a little cup at the top. It has a tube that goes up and then inclines downward. That downward uh, goes into an area that is a tube in a tube. The inside tube is where the condensing happens and the outside tube is where some cool water uh, can be ran through to cool it down. The cooling causes the mercury to condense and drip out at the bottom of the pipe. So you're able to heat the mercury up and then cool it down so it rolls down. Uh, it heats up and comes off the top of the retort and then once it goes down the angle slope, it can cool down and turn back into a mercury. So another thing you can do is if you use nitric acid to burn off the gold, or the mercury rather, off the gold, you can neutralize the nitric acid. You get, the, you get your mercury gold out first, and then um, you, know, you save that first strong solution, and you can neutralize it with, uh, with lime juice or lemon juice or something like that. Um, or you can just kind of slowly dilute it, dilute it, dilute it until it's almost nothing. So that, you know, it's just a, no real strong nitric acid in there at all. And put a penny in there or something, or just put the black sand in there that you don't use. Put it in with the black sand and slowly rinse it. And the mercury will end up being in the bottom of that pan again. So it'll, it'll drop back out again if you give it a chance to dilute slowly that mercury will drop back out in the pan okay um so now you've got a little amalgam button you could clean it up somewhat in the potato you could run it through a retort you could burn off the mercury with acid these are all ways to get rid of the the mercury coating after you squeeze it through the chamois those are all things you can do what do you do after that well, a lot of times the gold is discolored, and if you have flakes, you know, you really want to try to clean it up. Um, you could, at the risk of maybe getting some other debris in there, you could try to maybe use a stainless steel crucible and, and kind of squish and grind it a little bit. Um, it might flatten them out a little bit, and it might help them get back some color. You could do that. I've never tried it, but it's a possibility. I have tried uh, cooking it in salt water and um, just heating it with a lot of salt and trying to clean it that way. And sometimes that, that cleans it up a little bit um, over time. And then just changing the water, if you put it in a specimen jar, specimen bottle, Changing the water over and over again could also help the, the gold to get back its color if it is burnt from the acid or from the retort or any of those things have kind of discolored the gold and taken away its beautiful gold color. It will come back. It will come back. 
Um, I've tried soap, different things. It, it can be a pain, but with time, you can get it back. I've taken like, I'll take like a lot of salt, and then I'll get kind of like a, like something plastic, and I'll push the salt into the gold with water, you know, like a real grainy salt, and kind of get it gritty, and kind of I'm scrubbing the gold with the salt, and it, it has worked to clean it up with uh, some warmth on it. Let's see, was there anything else I wanted to share with you on that? Um, mercury can be absorbed through your skin. Back uh, in England, I guess, in the maybe the 1600s, maybe the 1700s, there used to be what was called the Mad Hatters. The Mad Hatters would use mercury with their hands to clean felt hats. They used this to clean the felt to make it very beautiful and pretty. And they ended up kind of losing their minds. And that's where the Mad Hatter phrase came from. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. See if I missed anything here. All this stuff is very poisonous. Please do more research if you're actually going to do this. Get, get a guide. This is a very old uh, reference that I have here. But nitric acid, mercury are both very, very dangerous. Do a lot of research. Wear a lot of gloves and protection. Don't pour this down your drain. Don't, don't put any things where they can be eaten. Make sure you neutralize them and or thin them down to the point that they are safe. Um, and that is all I can think of. So with that, guys, I want to thank you for tuning in. I apologize that I had so many technical difficulties today. It did not go well. I am apologizing, but the show must go on. Until next time, remember, rock hounds don't die. They petrify. <laughs>